It's time for The Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's The Car Doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. Good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or maybe you're listening on our FM channel, 100.3 FM, if you're in the Boston metro area, or maybe you're listening online on WROLradio.com or any one of the radio apps. You can usually find us there. Um, We have an interesting program lined up for today. Among other things, we will be reviewing the 2019 Nissan 370Z, talk about some of the Uh, latest information in the automotive world, uh, as well as an event that's going to be sort of taking place at the Heritage Museum and Gardens. So we have that coming up. I finally did get a copy of uh, Rick from Boston's letter. Finally showed showed up, made its way through the radio station and got it there. So we'll talk about that in a bit. So we have a lot of things... A lot of things to talk about this morning, including, like I said, some of the things that are in the news and some of the updates that are coming up, and um, and and maybe whether I, well, I don't want to say made a mistake buying the Hyundai Santa Fe that I bought because Hyundai came out with a brand new Santa Fe, and we'll have to see how the two compare, the one that I purchased, compared to the new one that's coming out, and we'll talk about that. So we have a lot of things going on this morning, So, as well as we are going to be talking to uh, Elliot Friend from, uh, he's on the automotive committee down at the Heritage Museum and Gardens, and we'll be talking to him in just a bit. So we have a lot of things going on, and we have Keith in the studio again. I'm not in the studio because, well, it's a three-day weekend, so I'm going to try to... Try to take advantage of it as much as I can. So we have that going on. So lots of things going on, and well, we'll just kind of go from there and see see what we got going on. And uh, in fact, I got a news release. In fact, I got a news release uh, that we'll get into a little bit later as well. So with us on the phone is Elliot Friend. Elliot is a is on the automotive committee down at the uh, Heritage Museum and Gardens. Elliot, good morning, and welcome to the Car Doctor Program. Good morning, good morning. How's everybody this morning? Well, uh, better than I deserve, as some people would say. Um, oh, the, <laughs> uh, You know, uh, first off, let's, let's talk about the Heritage Museum and Gardens. Um, you guys have been there for an awfully long time, and you have what has been described as cars in a church-like setting. It's a, it's a beautiful place down there. Yes, it is. Uh, when uh, Josiah Lilly uh, uh, founded it and purchased the property in 1967, uh, he, had, uh, he was a collector, had collected uh, uh, some 36, 37 cars, and he wanted a place where the public could view 
car collection, uh, military miniatures collections that he had, uh, purchased the property and built the building, uh, which is a resemblance of a Shaker round barn. Yeah, it, it's really it really is a beautiful building. I think it, I think it might have been. Uh uh, Dave Brunell, who kind of said it, it's it's in a church like setting. Uh, Dave Brunell, people people know him from uh, or knew him, I guess, from Hemmings Motor News. Just a great guy, and and I had the mm-hmm. uh, and I had the opportunity to meet Mr. Lilly years back. Uh, I I was asked to come down and do a little talk at the museum, and he, and he was in the audience, so no pressure there. You know, it was, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. but it was but it was quite a thing. And and the cars the cars are absolutely stunning that you have there and you have uh, you have a, a, an interesting exhibit there right now uh, uh, the uh, the IndyCar exhibit yes uh, this year uh, uh, there's 41 cars in the total collection this year uh, 21 of the cars are in off-site storage and uh, arrangements were made uh, to have 20 uh, cars from the Indianapolis 500 exhibit in in Indianapolis there for the season, uh, starting uh, with the first pace car in 1912, uh, uh, Stoddard Dayton, which is a name uh, you know unknown today, and it, each car of the next generation is about a five to six year span to the next car to the next car, and uh, the most current one uh, is the uh, 2016. Winning uh, IndyCar, the uh, Napa car. Mm, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, uh, it is really a stunning collection, and it's it's a little bit to the point where you have a car. You have a car that you can climb in and out of, and you realize these cars are pretty small inside. Yes, they are. Yeah, there's <laughs> one car there that's been uh, modified where folks, uh, adults, children can get in and out of. And then there's other uh, accessories, we'll call them, on a table there. There's a uh, bottle of milk that uh, is, is uh, uh, well, I'd say either taking a little taste of or poured on top of the winter. Uh, there's a wreath, there's some helmets and, and some other uh, uh pieces there and then there's a mural on the wall behind the car standing next to the uh, uh, Indy 500 trophy where a um, visitor could stand there get their picture taken in that uh, setting yeah yeah no it's 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 really it's really a great thing and and there there certainly is has always been a, a little bit of everything for everyone there but uh, you have something pretty interesting coming up in the next week or so can you tell us about that Sure. Um, the uh, Classic Car Club of America, the New England region, is putting on what's called a mini caravan and a uh, grand national, which is a uh, judged car show. Uh, it will be held at Heritage uh, a week from Saturday on the 8th. Uh, cars will be on display there from 10 in the morning till 2. And at this point, we have uh, 41 cars, uh, classic cars, uh, coming in from really across the country, We've got some uh, a car coming from Alabama, another couple cars coming uh, from from Florida. Uh, full classic cars, which is uh, you know the Classic Car Club of America, the full classics. They were built between 1915 and 1948, and uh, these were uh, cars that must meet the high standards of quality, design, engineering. Um, just to toss a couple of names out, Rolls-Royce, Packard, 
Duesenberg, Lincoln, and Cadillac uh, were some of the names of cars. They were the, uh, well, let's say the more expensive cars, the high-end premium cars that uh, are what the Classic Car Club of America is all about. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, 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 I would say Duesenberg, uh, Cadillac, Lincoln, uh, Packard, yeah, we're talking a pretty good collection of uh, high-end cars there. And people, and if people are on the Cape, they're going to see these cars uh, uh, here and there. Because I was looking at some of the schedule um, on on uh, next Thursday. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess they're he- they're headed over to the Witter Pirate Museum in Yarmouth, and then yeah. uh, then up to the Sandwich Glass Museum, and on Friday uh, headed down to Chatham to the Marconi Maritime Center, and um, and then uh, and then like you said, Saturday they're going to be at the uh, Heritage uh, Museum, and uh, and then uh, probably head out after that. So people who happen to be on the road over the next uh, week or so may see a beautiful collection of cars driving down the road and and wondering what happened. Did I just get transported back in time? Um, yes, if uh, that would be a you know perfect way to describe it. Yeah, the tour, uh, it's about a 150, 160-mile tour that will uh, happen over the two days out there. Uh, then, as I said before, the cars will be on display at Heritage. So anybody coming to visit Heritage for the day, um, they'll have access. They'll have ability. Uh, there's no extra charge or anything up on the uh, parade field. They can just wander up there, walk around, look at the cars talk with the owners and uh, see some beautiful pieces of art. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, a little off topic, how did you get involved in the the Heritage Museum and, and sort of the, the as an automotive historian to, to some extent? Well, um, I'll be a little careful here. Um, no, you know, I retired... Uh, from my uh, career, yep. uh, and moved moved to Plymouth. Uh, we're from the, the Northeast, and just wanted to get over this way. We got some kids and grandkids in the area, but I've always had an interesting car. I've had you know any number uh, uh, over my years. One day we wandered down to uh, Heritage, walked in the building. I looked around and said, uh, "Boy, I wonder if there's any volunteer opportunities here." Got in touch with the uh, uh, Jennifer Madden, who's the uh, director of the collection. Mm-hmm. Visited with her and uh, got on the auto committee, and uh, have been enjoying it for the last uh, six and a half years. Coming yep. in uh, uh, pretty much on a weekly basis uh, with another group of uh, fellows on uh, our subcommittee, and uh, we take care of the cars, exercise yeah. them, uh, do any service work that need be done on them, and. Uh, have also been on a project uh, of uh, reactivating because we've got a few of the cars that are still not fully active. Uh, we've been on a program of uh, reactivating a car a year over the last six years. Yeah, no, that's what that's what's pretty pretty amazing. Besides the, I mean, sometimes you go to a museum and the cars are the cars are stunning to look at, but they haven't been they haven't been 
driven in an awfully long time and and i i've seen i've seen kind of in the back room down there and now now you make it open almost sort of open to the public where and you see you see folks like yourself in there and really looking to get the cars ready and and up to a point where people can uh you know or or you know the cars are the cars are truly real and they're not just they're not just exhibit pieces you 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 can with a little bit of work get them get them up and get them up and running and and i know um uh, a friend of friend of mine, Glenn Gould, uh, the the mm-hmm. uh, well the Wells Auto Museum. Uh, when his when his dad was alive, that was one of the things his father always uh, kind of kind of prided himself on. That with a little bit of work, every car in that museum could start up and run. Yeah, well, yeah. it's important to to preserve them for the future, uh, the next generation, and the next generation. They, they really need to be active. Mm. Uh, they need to be started, driven around, and just get everything uh, moving and, and keep them in that condition. If they just sit idle, they're going to uh, they're going to deteriorate, and uh, that, that's that's not right. That's right. No, no, it, it's it's interesting too because. Uh, sometimes people lose track of cars, and last week we had somebody on from Ford, and we were talking about we were talking about a little bit of Ford history, and we kind of went off topic a little bit and talked about the Ford sweepstakes car that a lot of people remember the only time Henry Ford ever raced, and mm-hmm. uh, and they made a copy of the car to sort of bring bring back to life and they thought they were making a copy of a copy and after doing a little bit of research they found out it was actually the original car that someone just sort of oh, stuck wow. in, st- stuck in storage and, but mm-hmm. they but but they really thought oh this is a reproduction of the car from the early 1900s and after a little bit of work they found out it was really the original car and i and i guess they may have not been quite as careful with it when they when they were first starting to take pieces off of it to mold new pieces for this reproduction vehicle. Then, as they mm-hmm. were going through it, they found out, oh, oh, this is actually the original car. And uh, so, I, it, it's important, I think, to always kind of preserve this. And uh, and I think it's important to get a, um, you know, Dave Brunell and. Uh, and Terry Eric up at Hemmings always used to say, we need to get the next generation of people involved in the old car hobby. And I think seeing a grand collection of cars like you, like that is coming to the museum or that you have on display, or or even for the enthusiasts, the, the indie cars that are there, it, it can bring a new excitement. And, and I think it's important for parents and grandparents to bring their kids to car shows and bring them to auto museums and and let them let them learn a little bit about the history of you know what the cars are and then they they'll hopefully bring that bring that with them to their generation yes now without without question there now without question just uh Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Not. Not to. I, it sounds like I went up on a soapbox a little bit here, but no, I think. It, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think. I think. I think it is so important. So uh, back. Back to the original topic. Uh, the cars will be on display uh, next Saturday, and about what time? 
10 a.m. 10 a.m. Uh, open. We're going to be bringing cars in, you know, getting them all staged on the parade field. Each car will have its specific um, parking space, so to speak. Um, and then from 10 o'clock till 2 o'clock, uh, it's open, as I said before, included with admission. Um, there's going to be a, a, a lunch service there for anybody that wants to, uh, uh, you know, be there at noontime. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're having a catering company come in. They'll have hamburgers, hot dogs, and uh, uh, sodas and the like available for folks to purchase there. Um, I just looked at the weather this morning, and it looks to be good for Saturday. So uh, uh, we're, we're happy. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's it's it sounds it sounds like a great thing. And again, the the Heritage Museum and Gardens is someplace where everyone can go if you uh, uh, if you uh, want to go. You know, check out all the cars. If you want to go check out all of the flowers, if you want to go check out the other exhibits, there is a lot of stuff there. And as um, everybody reminds me, if you if you have a little bit of mobility problems, but you still want to enjoy the grounds, you have uh, little shuttles that that run all over the place, and and uh, you even, you even have uh, you know, something something set up for kids now, where you you know they can they can go out and have a lot of fun there. So the, a lot of stuff that goes on at the it's it's uh, kind of the jewel of sandwich, I think. Yes, we, uh, yeah, well, personally I call it a well-hidden secret, but, uh, yeah. uh, you know, attendance has increased uh, uh, dramatically over the last five to six years. Um, there are the carts that uh, can transport folks around from one area to the other. Up in the, uh, just above the uh, adventure field, there is uh, the second oldest uh, merry-go-round in the country. It, uh, it's open. Kids, adults can get up there, take a ride around on that. And then there is another area right adjacent to that. It's called Hidden Hollow, uh, where there's uh, activities for hmm, youngsters there. Um, they can build things. There's a treehouse there, just all kinds of stuff for uh, for, for, for the younger generation. Yeah, and and like you pointed out, uh, kids for kids of all ages. Uh, a bunch of years ago, uh, my wife was on that merry-go-round and grabbed and grabbed the ring on the way by. So, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, good so, for her. Yeah, so uh, so uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that uh, you know can it can it can bring you back and make you a little bit younger going there too. Elliot, I want to thank you for taking a little time out of your Saturday morning and joining us on the Car Doctor program. Okay, good. Thank you, John. It's All right, pleasure. All right, take care, Elliot. Bye, bye. Yeah. That was Elliot Friend uh, on from the uh, from the Automotive Committee of the Heritage Museum and Gardens. Um, it's just it's just a it's a fantastic little place there. And uh, I went over there to check out the uh, the IndyCar exhibit, and I happened to go there on uh, I think it was Hydrangea Day, and I was wondering, wow, the parking lot's awful crowded fairly early in the morning, but it was awfully crowded because people are there for Hydrangea Day. So there is always a lot that lot that goes on at at the heritage museum and again there's a little bit of something for everybody and you can you can uh, check out their website to see what it's all about and also you can check out the uh, the website about uh, this whole caravan that's going on and their website address is cccaner so dot com. So you can find out more information about what what is going on with them and the classic car caravan. And again, they're going to be kind of all over Cape Cod. It looks like uh, heading down to the Whittem Museum in in Yarmouth and the Marconi campus and uh, up at the Sandwich 
glass museum, so I guess people are going to learn how to... Maybe they'll make uh, new glass headlights for their car at the museum. Probably not, but uh, there is a lot of things going on. So I was looking at I was looking at the uh, the uh, Classic Car Club of America um, write up, and it says um, they're talking about come to Old Cape Cod when the kids are back in school. The crowds are smaller. The weather is still great. We're pleased to announce the Grand Classic will be held on the outstanding manicure grounds of the Heritage Museum and Gardens in Sandwich, Massachusetts. If you've never been there, you're in for a treat. The gardens are superb with hydrangeas, rhododendrons, and more. There are three museum buildings, one which is a recreation of the Shaker Barn, which we were talking about. Um, And they also have, for the the members of the car club here, they also have uh, special access to view part of Mr. Lilly's collection of running antiques and full classics that are on exhibit this year. Um, so there's a lot of great stuff there. And also, they're, they're, they're also going to a, uh, uh, a a private collector's home, I guess, where they're going to be able to see some stuff. And, and I don't know I don't know this person. Uh, I'm going to have to going to have to figure out figure out that one too so but a lot of a lot of interesting things going on a lot of interesting things to look at hey our buddy rick from boston who is a regular listener of the program said to me hey i've been i've been trying to give you some advice on advice you can share and he wrote me a letter and somehow i never got it it got lost at the radio station so he wrote a second letter which i finally got to and his let's go over his and it's driving advice and it says an old guy's advice to young drivers a dozen plus one and this is kind of what he was talking about uh a week or two back and it says it's always safer to back in and drive out of driveways and mall parking spots that is true uh we have um at AAA, when we do our driving driver improvement classes, we always recommend to people when, whenever possible, if they if they if they're not comfortable with it, especially as people get a little bit older, if they're not comfortable backing up, well, maybe find a parking space where you can drive in one side and out the other. So when it's time to leave, you're driving out rather than try to back out. Uh, especially hard to back out of a parking space when you're in a smaller car and maybe you're stuck between um, two big SUVs. Ignore the driver behind you with a horn while trying to turn left onto oncoming traffic. Yes, and somebody could be beeping their horn, but don't rush because someone says it's time to go. Uh, you want to go when you think it's safe. The, the, the number one crash area for drivers over the age of 65 is turning left at a light, so be careful about that. A car approaching the intersection will probably run his just-turned-red light. Uh, this week, I was uh, I was just crossing over the Massachusetts-Rhode Island line, and I got off and was on a side street, and I counted three people that went through the red light. And all of them, and I don't know if it was really one following the other bad driving practices, the there was no one i was approaching the light as it turned green so the person going the first person going through the red light probably just looked over and went oh there's no one at that light i'll just blow right through it the next two people went through it as well uh i don't know if they were just following the leader sort of thing and not paying attention just assuming the light was green or they were all trying to run the red light all maybe they were all late for work 
So be careful of those. Just because a car is not showing a turn signal doesn't mean it won't turn left in front of you. Just the opposite, I guess, too. Just because it has a turn signal on doesn't mean anything other than the bulb works. Uh, when stopped in a line of cars, leave room in front of you to get around uh, the car you're behind if it's stalled. Uh, always leave um, kind of a and we joke about it, a rule of thumb is a rule of thumb, is your thumb, actually. So if you pull up behind a car and you can take your thumb and the, there's a space, if you hold your hand out and to the front of your hood and the back of the car, if you turn your thumb sideways, that much space is what you want to leave between you and the car in front of you. That will give you enough room to get around. Or... I. I used to like to say, if you can see the tires of the car in front of you, there's probably enough room to go around that car if it's stalled or if it, at the last minute, just turns its turn signals on. So expect the car waiting to get on the road. Let's see. Expect the car waiting to get on the road you're on to jump out and be ready for it to slow down or stop. Um, sometimes. Uh, I, I saw that the other day getting on the highway. Uh, someone was sort of coming down to the bottom of the highway ramp, uh, slowing down, slowing down, then sped up, then slowed back down as soon as they got on the road. I don't know what that was all about. Um, people on bikes walking like to play chicken with cars. They don't, they don't know what crosswalks are or what to do when uh, there's uh, no cross lights uh, or what the cross lights actually mean. We all need to share the road together is the bottom line on that. Bicycles, pedestrians, motorcyclists, we all need to share the road together. Uh, remember, the other vehicle knows that he owns the road. Yeah, they think so, don't they? Tailgating, speeding, reckless driving leads to, he says accidents, we say crashes. Fines and higher insurance costs that mean less money for your toys. That's true. If you're gonna, if you have to pay for insurance or, or worse yet, a lawyer, and someday I'll talk about that story. Uh, when stopped on hills in front of you, um, the car in front of you may roll backwards when, it's, when it starts to move forward. That's entirely possible. Although today's standard shift cars, even standard shift cars, have, um, have uh, a kind of a clutch brake control now where they don't really roll like they used to. Uh, even my wife's Volkswagen, which is an automatic when you're stopped, doesn't roll backwards. On, uh, because it uh, it actually applies a brake for a second. Uh, on long trips, take frequent brakes. Uh, plan them into your timing. You'll arrive fresher. Every couple hours is a good time to take a break. Uh, get out, stretch a little bit, get a little bit of exercise, a little bit of air. Uh, stay hydrated. It's important. Uh, don't overeat when you're on the road for all kinds of reasons. Um, John White, the... Uh, first auto writer I ever met at the Boston Globe, he always used to say that the best food to take on a trip was grapes because they keep you hydrated and they they quench any appetite issues. So I always thought that was good advice, and I like grapes, so why not? It's uh, better to get there late than not at all. In other words, don't, don't speed. And uh, his plus one, while you're driving... While you're, while you're watching out for the other person, they'll be watching for you. You're not as good a driver as you think you are. Well, I'm not as good a driver. I never thought I was a good driver, actually. Um, but I have made some adjustments in my driving where I know my reactions 
times aren't as good as they used to be. So I leave a, I leave a lot more room between me and the cars in front of me because if something happens, I have more time to slow down and react to it. When I take my eyes off the road in front of me, I kind of have my foot hovering over the brake pedal. So it takes about a half a second to a second to realize something happened in front of you. It takes about a half a second to a second to get your foot off the gas and on the brake. So if I don't have my eyes on the road, my foot's sort of hovering over the brake pedal. So if I look back and someone stopped because... I don't know, a dog ran out in the road, they saw Elvis, they saw an alien, I don't know what the case is, and you have time to be able to say, my foot's already there, I'll hit the brake, I'll slow down, I'll stop, I'll do whatever it takes to bring the car to a safe position, and that helps a lot. I got a note from the people at Harbor Freight, and it says, 52 high school uh, trade teachers up for a million dollars in prizes as semifinalists in the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools 2018 Prize for Teaching Excellence. Uh, 52 skilled trade teachers and teaching teams from across the country in their high schools were named today as semifinalists in the Harbor Freight Tools for Schools Prize for Teaching Excellence and are in the running for a share of a million dollars in total cash awards. The semifinalists hail from 27 states and specialize in trains ranging from construction to carpentry to automotive repair, welding, advanced manufacturing, and agricultural mechanics. Their collective experience, including teaching students to work with solar power system, hydraulics, build tiny houses, and rebuild diesel engines, and more. The semifinalists, some competing as individuals and some as teacher teams, were selected by an independent panel of judges from among a field of more than 500 skilled trade teachers who applied for the prize. The um, Though two more rounds of judging the field of 52 semifinalists will be narrowed to 18 first and second place winners who will split the one million in cash awards. The first three place winners will receive a hundred thousand dollars, with seventy thousand going to their public high school skilled trades program, and thirty thousand to the individual skilled trades teacher or teacher team behind the winning program. The 15, sec- 15 second place winners will be awarded 50 with 30000 going to the school and 15000 to the teacher team. Semifinalists uh, were eligible to apply on behalf of their school's uh, skilled trade. The first and second place winners are expected to be announced on November 15th. Um, these semifinalists represent amazing depth and breadth in high school trades, education, and exhibit incredible enthusiasm for teaching students to work with their hands, to, to love learning, and be prepared for the future, says uh, Danny Corwin. He's executive director of Harbor Freight uh, Schools for Tools. We're thrilled to recognize the exceptional teaching uh, to raise the profile of their excellent work through these awards. Um, pretty neat thing and you know a lot of people have an opinion about harbor freight good or bad um but when you see something like this it's a pretty good thing in fact i was watching the news last night speaking of people that have an opinion um ernie bach jr was on and ernie bach has a program called uh called music drives us and it's a program where uh he uh, donates money through his Music Drives Us charity to keep music in school. And he had an exhibit of a bunch of guitars. They're all painted with different things that meant things to each one of the individual artists. And those guitars are going to be uh, auctioned off sometime in November uh, with the money going to the Music Drives Us charity. And, uh, you know, when you, when you hear things like that and you say, you know, maybe you don't like Harbor Freight because they're, they're, you know, your opinion is they're cheap tools, or maybe you don't like Ernie Bach because of, I don't know, you don't like the way he looks, whatever the case is, um, and you hear things like that, that's, uh, that's pretty good stuff. Well, I've been talking for about 30 minutes. Why don't we take a break and pay some bills? 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Keith, you said something there, and I didn't quite hear you. Oh, okay, let's talk to Ben from Lawrence first before we take that break, and then we'll, when we, when we, uh, when we, when we talk, when we finish talking to Ben, our phone number is 617-770-3030 if you want to get through. You're listening to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston. Go ahead, Ben. Hi, hi, John. How are you? Good. How are you, Ben? John, when are you going to start writing your auto repair book? Uh, is, uh, I don't know. Maybe when I retire. How's that? I I think better than an auto repair book. Sometimes I always I always thought that maybe I should just uh, uh, write a book about interesting interesting stories that people have told me about getting their car repaired and you know what it took to get it repaired and I don't know maybe 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 someday maybe someday. I think that'll be fine because I was born in 1932. I don't have much time left. Okay. Well, I, you know, and, and it's right. it's it's funny it's funny you say that because you, you you know and you could and you could have a ton of time left you never really know but uh, a, a friend of mine once once said to me we were talking about the future and he says uh, he says here's what here's what you want to do he says you know if you're waiting to if you're waiting to do things he said how long do you think you're going to live and you know I, I said I don't know maybe I'm going to live to be eighty. And he said, take a, take, take a tape measure out, roll it out 80 inches. And then he right. said, however old you are now, stand on that number on the tape measure. So if you're, you know, 60, stand on 60 inches. Look back at the 60 inches that went by and look at the 20 inches you have left. And then it kind of puts it into perspective how much time you have left. So, so, uh, you, you could have, uh, you know, you could, you could have a bunch of time left, but still, whatever that time is, is precious. So you're right. You should, you should do what you want to do and, uh, and, and, and have some fun with it. Good advice, John. You know, the genetics work pretty well in my family. Everybody lives close to 100. So There, there you I go. Have, I have that hope. Okay, yeah. th- I have a couple of questions for you. First of all, Impala, my Impala, the airbag light came on two weeks ago and it stays on. Uh-oh. I tried Checking the fuses, diagnostic. Is there a reset button on that or what? No, no. You're going to have to. You're going to have to bring it into a shop. They're going to have to scan it. Uh, okay. One one question though, and I don't know if you've noticed. Does the horn work? Yes, it does. Okay. Hey, hey, everything works, right? Everything works. Okay, because but there's no reset button on that. All right? No, there's no. There's no. no. All right. Okay. No, you can. I mean, you can. You can go out and disconnect the battery, and right. then hook, and then wait. Thirty seconds and hook the battery back up, and the light might go out, but okay. uh, but it's going to come back on when it figures out what's the, there's something wrong. The airbag light is on because it's telling you there's some sort of fault, and it could be okay. one of the there's there's a series of three or two crash sensors could be one of those. There's a and why I asked about the horn. There's a there's something called a clock spring, and, it, and if you think of a spring inside a clock, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And what Go happens ahead. is that's the thing that brings the brings the ground up to the airbag, and it also brings the ground up for the horn. So okay. if the if the clock spring's broken, usually the horn won't work, and that's what turns the light on. So it could be a sensor, it could be a wire, it could be it could be a little bit of anything. Right now, with the airbag light on, it's telling you that the uh, my airbag the air, isn't working. It's not going to work. It's not okay. going to work. Okay. The, the okay. good thing is, okay. it's not. The good thing is, it's, it's not. It's it's not going to go off either. So uh, okay. you don't you don't have to worry about it. You know, having a false deployment. Right. Well, one more question, John. I'm sure, sure. a lot of other drivers are curious about it. When new model cars come out, why do they all resemble each other? Can you explain that? They're all designed in wind tunnels. 
Okay. And, yeah, and what happens, everybody's trying to go with the most aerodynamic shape possible to try to get the, the most fuel economy right. and they and they're all jelly beans you know they're all okay. they're all they're all low in the front curvy yeah. curvy on the top and 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 sometimes higher higher in the back sometimes not right. but but that's why they all sort of designed that way and and they uh, used you to go to stat john Oh, you know okay. the the idea of you know yeah. uh, a 58 cadillac with with you know high tail fins you know those cars, those cars don't exist anymore, and and right. now you know uh, it's pretty hard to tell a Honda minivan from a Kia minivan. It's pretty hard to tell a Hyundai Sonata from a Ford Taurus. They all sort of have the same same general shape, and everybody okay. goes to the shape that gets the most wind over them with the least amount of resistance. No, I thought they were merging their own thoughts. No, no, no. Well, you, you know, you say that though, but sometimes what happens is, go. You know, if you look back at the Ford Fusion from a few years ago, right. and that was that was a really good looking car. Well, it was a really good looking car because the designer came from Aston Martin, and that's why it looks like a little. You can see some Aston Martin in it because he took he took his design from Aston Martin and brought it and brought it to Ford. So sometimes okay. they will sometimes it will steal a little bit. Uh, the Koreans are, are pretty good at that Hyundai. And Kia are pretty good at uh, stealing some design here and there, um, but that's but that's not always the case. Uh, right. But it, but it really is they they design the cars to be as efficient as they can, and that's part of the reason. Okay, that explains okay. it, John. I thank you All very right. much. Right? All, right. All right. Okay. Take care, Ben. Bye bye. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Why don't we take a break? Pay some bills. My name is John Paul. This is the Car Doctor program on Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you're not doing too much work. We'll be right back. Used to make me smile. And I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while. But February Message and data rates may apply. Please don't text while driving. If you've been in business more than 20 minutes, you've probably printed your logo on all kinds of promotional products. We all know logos work because they're on everything from the top of skyscrapers to the bottom of shoes. Ever wondered why or how to best use your logo to grow your business? Let us show you today for free. We're 4imprint, promotional product experts at your service. We're giving away the latest issue of Amplify, the digital magazine that reveals promotional product success stories absolutely free to everyone who texts WOW22 to 88988. At 4imprint, we make your logo look perfect on thousands of promotional items. With our 100% guarantee, it'll be right the first time, on time, every time. Your free e-magazine will reveal invaluable insights that can attract new customers, build your brand, and grow your business. Get the latest issue of Amplify absolutely free by texting WOW22 to 88988. That's W-O-W-22 to 88988. AM 950 WROL Boston. The spirit of Boston. A service of Salem Media Group. I was taking a trip out to L.A., tooling along in my Chevrolet, talking on the number and digging on the radio. Just as I crossed the Mississippi line, I heard that highway start to whine, and I knew that left rear tire was about to go. 
Well, the spare was flat, and I got uptight Cause there wasn't a filling station in sight So I just limped on down the shoulder on the rim I went as far as I could when I stopped And welcome back to the Car Doctor program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or 100.3 FM, or the app, WROLradio.com. Nissan, this past Thursday, said it's going to recall 166,000 vehicles to replace the ignition switch uh, because the switches may cause the engine to shut off while the vehicles are being driven. And it's that's not the concern, which is the interesting part. Um, the recall affects vehicles sold in Canada and the U.S., but mostly in Canada more than the U.S. But the cars are the Frontier Pickup, the uh, Sentra and Versa small cars, and the NV and NV200 commercial vans. Um, and in Canada, also the Nissan Micra car, which is a little city car, which I have seen one of here in the United States. It had, uh, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but I happened to see it. It was, uh, it was parked in a driveway, and I noticed it was parked in a driveway because it was a tow vehicle. It was, I guess they towed it behind a motorhome. Neeson said the owners of affected vehicles would begin receiving notices in the mail in September. The, the, um, the problem with the ignition switch is it can turn, and it can turn and shut the car off, and the concern is, I guess, if the car shuts off, uh, and it can go from on to the accessory position, and when that happens, besides the car shutting off, it shuts the airbag system off. So besides the car acting like it just stalled, and the concern seems to be more that the airbag won't work because the key's in the off position. So uh, the automaker says if you own one of these vehicles, uh, take all your keys off your key ring and just have a key and a... I don't know, keychain and not a bunch of stuff. Uh, you sometimes see that people have all kinds of things hanging off their key ring, everything from a ton of keys to a flashlight to a pocket knife to a, uh, I don't know, self-defense weapon to, you know, every every discount card from uh, or an affinity card, everything from their gym to the drugstore to whatever the case is. So there's a lot, you know, people kind of overburden their ignition switch by having way too many things on it. Uh, some of these big uh, push-button remotes, you know, if you have a car with uh, with uh, a big remote, and then you have another car with a big remote, now all of a sudden you have a couple bulky things on your key ring, and those aren't really not a good idea to carry all that stuff around. It just puts too much wear and tear on the ignition switch itself, so... And as you recall, back in 2014, General Motors uh, started recalling uh, cars over defective ignition switches, which had uh, similar issues. So you want to watch out for that. Our phone number, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030 is how you get, uh, how, how you get through. Uh, we have, uh, we have a, a caller on the line, plus we also have... Um, couple lines open so if you want to join us 617-770-3030 good morning good morning john you're on the car doctor program hello hello john. hi there yes sir hey uh, john i got a question there <clears throat> i got a uh, 2019 subaru uh estate and uh on the uh, thing there it claims 22 Average miles per gallon between city and highway. Yep. Now I I call them up. <clears throat> excuse me. 
And uh, I told him, I said, I'm not even getting that. In fact, Uh-oh. Yeah, uh, well, first off, how many miles do you have on the car? Yeah, see, you know, part of the problem is it's going to it's going to take and, and we're kind of losing you. It seems like we're losing your cell phone here a little bit. But the uh, I think I, you know, it's going to take 5,000 miles or so before the engine breaks in and loosens up. So, uh I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about mileage for quite a, you know, until you get, you know, 5 or 6,000 miles on it. And by then the engine's going to be broken in and you'll you'll get a better idea of what you're going to get for fuel economy. Um you know, th- those are averages, those are averages based on uh some EPA test cycles. They're also averages that that the vehicle manufacturers uh look at. Um you know, right now, uh, you know, if it says you're supposed to get 22 on average and you're getting in the teens somewhere, I wouldn't be too, too concerned about it. Uh, but I would just, I would just note it, um, until and wait and see, wait and see what happens. Um, and then, and then kind of, kind of go, kind of go from there. But I wouldn't expect to see the mileage really start to get normal until you, until the engine's really broken in. And then you're gonna, then you're gonna, you, hopefully by then you'll see something pretty close to what you're gonna, what it says. On the cars that I road test, and I road test a, a lot of cars over the course of a year, um, I'm usually within 10% of whatever the number is. So, and sometimes, and I'm going by the digital display, which I, I will admit is sometimes a little over optimistic. But, and then sometimes I exceed it, but sometimes I don't come close. The last car that I drove, um, was a little less than the average. Uh, could have had to do with the way I was driving it. Um, city driving, you'll, you know, that really chews up the fuel. So, uh, so it's really gonna, it's really gonna depend, and, uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. So, John, I hope that helps you out. Our, yeah, yeah, John. We're gonna to have to let you go. Your your cell phone sounds like it's uh, sounds like you just drove through the uh, drove drove through the tunnel with it. So, John, thanks for calling and uh, and uh, give it some time. It's the best thing to do. All right. Well, let's uh, let's try the second John of the morning here, Norwood. John, good morning. Good morning. Morning, John. How are you? All right. How are you? Good. I got a question. A couple of times, I'd say like twice in a, within a month, I've found like globs of grease on the um, mud flap behind the passenger front tire, maybe half the size of a golf ball. So I thought, well, maybe the CV joint boot was ripped, but I looked mm-hmm. at it and it doesn't appear. Um, can you think of anything that would leave that? in the same spot within a month um, other than the CV? No, that's that's really about the only thing that's there. I mean, if it's not ripped, it could be the, it could be the, Clamp is loosened up enough that it's squirted some squirted some grease. Now you have to remember when you uh, when the car goes up and down or turns left and right, that boot is you know compressing and expanding, compressing and expanding. And if that if that clamp on the boot is a little bit loose, um, you're going to literally squirt grease out of there like 
toothpaste out of a toothpaste tube. So, you know, you could get under there if you felt ambitious enough to crawl on the ground and squeeze the boot and see if anything comes out of it. And if it does, you okay. you you know you know the answer. Um, the other possibility could be just as goofy as you you hit a big glob of grease in the road a couple of times, and it just spun up and hit the same spot, and that was kind of it. Uh, that that's that's possible, I guess. Uh, but I, I'm kind of thinking it might be the it still might be an issue with the with the boot. How old a car is it? It's almost twenty years old now. Oh yeah, I mean, so it's it's entirely possible. And and what happens these days too? Nobody replaces a boot anymore. They end up replacing the entire axle because a rebuilt axle is about the same price a boot used to be fifteen years ago. And if you do that, um, you should do them in pairs, right? Um, no, I no, I would. I I and when it comes to things like that, I believe in. Uh, you know, fix what's broken. You know, so uh, especially you have to think about, you know, what happens when you turn the steering wheel. There's always one. There's always one wheel that turns more than the other, and that's what puts the additional stress on on the boot. Um, in alignment talk, it's called toe out and turns, and there's always it's it stresses the boot a little bit more. And again, age. You know, if you had if you had the you know, one axle you replaced, would I replace the left front axle just because? No, nah, not until I saw a problem with it. So there's a clamp on on both ends of the... On both, uh, yeah, the on, on both ends. Uh, there's, you know, there's the inner and outer CV joint. The inner one just sort of moves in and out. Uh, the outer one is the one that obviously bends as the as the wheels turn left and right. Um and both of those, both of those can squirt grease out of them. But uh, if you and there's a little clamp, probably uh, you know just the size of the axle, which is you know maybe an inch and a half across. And then there's the big clamp, which is you know three and a half or four inches. And either one of those clamps could start to leak a little bit. Uh, not unusual in a car as it gets a little bit older. Uh, and like I said, it uh, from all the movement, if the clamp isn't doing its job, well that can that can be squirting out some grease. So. You know that's that's what I would look at if I if I got under there with a flashlight and everything looked okay and I didn't see any grease squirted all over or anything, I think I'd just wash off the mud flap and not worry about it. That may be my uh, course of action. Just to, if it happens a third time, I'll get under there again. But there you there you, there you go there you go. So uh, start start with some car wash soap and uh, and and if you don't see anything if you don't see anything a, a third time. You you ran over a big gob of grease in the road. There was a there was a you were driving on the same road where somebody just uh, did a grease job on a on a dump truck and over greased everything and left a bunch of grease in the road. I got one other question for you, sure. if I can. Sure, absolutely. Um, my girlfriend's Honda. It's a 2013 Civic. Yep. Had a recall because the paint is clouding and cracking. Okay. She took it into. Um, the Honda dealership in West Roxbury, I think. They're yep. the ones that are going to do the uh, recall. Yep. And they're saying just paint the top of the car, the hood, and the top of the trunk. Um, that car's got pretty, you know, wide front fenders that abut it. I mean, is it, are they going to be able to make that paint match the paint that's going to be left on the areas that they're not repainting or saying so far that they don't want to repaint? Uh, depends on the painter. 
Um, they're gonna. There's. Uh, I have seen people blend paint from panel to panel, and that's what they do. They don't. They don't just. They don't paint the panel specifically, especially if there's, especially if there's a little bit of fade that's happened over the past, you know, five years or so. But they do blend blend the finish off to the off to the adjoining fenders a little bit, and. Yeah, if you're out in if you're out in uh, a parking garage with a bunch of fluorescent lights, you may see the deviation in the paint color. Uh, but if you're out in bright sunlight, most of the time, you know that's that's kind of the key to how well how well they did getting the paint to match is how well did they blend it is you know how's it look in bright sun. I was I, I was talking to somebody not that long ago that had some trim painted on their car, and all they did was. Uh, Picked the factory color, painted it, and and put the uh, the wheel well arches and put the wheel well arches on it, and uh, it wasn't even close. You know, I I don't know how the I don't know how the service department could have given the car back in 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 looking at it and saying, oh yeah, it looks fine. It didn't even it didn't even come close to looking fine. So it really depends on it really depends on the the service department and the and the. And the uh, painter who does the work. I mean, after all, you know, fenders get dinged and dented all the time, and you know, they they straighten the dents out and they paint them and they blend them in, and they and they they can get them to match pretty well. Um, why they're doing all the flat surfaces is it's 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 kind of a a problem that almost every vehicle manufacturer has had is the the water based paints that we use now are are nowhere near as robust as the old paints used to be. On top of that. The primers that they use today are really good about keeping corrosion to a minimum. The bad thing is they're very sensitive to ultraviolet light. So, and the only thing that keeps the primer from getting, from starting to have problems is the paint on top of the primer. Well, what happens is this ultraviolet light makes its way through the flat surfaces, the hood, the roof, and the trunk. And then because of that, um, the primer starts to starts to uh, starts to move a little bit, and that's what causes the fading and the checking in the paint. So, um, so they have to go down. They have to they have to sand the paint, scuff up the primer. Um, sometimes put a new coat of primer on it, new base coat, new clear coat, and it's it's good to go. And again, it's really up to the painter. Uh, if if you get the car back and you go, wow, you know the car's the car's red, but the new paint looks orange. Then you got to you got to say to them, hey, look, that's terrible. And, and again, the key is how does it look out in sunlight, and and that's kind of the that's the body shop rule that I that I was taught and I always go by. What's it look like in natural sunlight? If it looks good in natural sunlight, it's as it's as good as it's going to be. You know, you might look at it under halogen or or fluorescent lights and go, I can see where they touch uh, where they blended it in. Well, that isn't where the car gets driven. The car gets driven in sunlight. So, you know, if it matches in sunlight, it's 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 good. And is black any more difficult than any other color? Blacks, any dark color is difficult because what happens is, um, generally speaking, black is black and it's an easy color to match. The problem with black is, and any dark color is, it shows any imperfections. So it really depends on how they prepped the car to start off with. So this car could very well have, you know, a little bit of dings and dents in the paint. Anything that wasn't sanded properly is going to show up more with uh, with the dark color than it will with the light color. So matching-wise, it's probably a lot easier 
um, unless this car's you know sat in Arizona sunlight for five years. But uh, chances are, chances are, black's going to match pretty well, I would think. Okay. Okay. Thanks for help, John. All right. Take care. Bye bye now. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty. Uh, I mentioned once uh, a while back that I it was time for me to buy a new car. My 11-year-old car was um, was just starting to be an 11-year-old car. So I went out and kind of looked at a variety of different cars, and I had a very limited budget because, well... I work for a living, and um, you know I don't. I don't. You know, unlike some some other folks, I don't. In fact, I got an email from somebody that wants me to meet them, and they said, uh, "My only decision is, do I take the Shelby GT350 or do I take the uh, the 428 uh, uh, Mustang?" Well, I don't have I don't have those kind of problems. So, but I went out and bought a Hyundai Santa Fe Sport because it was a good value. I got a good price on it. I bought it over at Prime South, Prime Hyundai, and uh, on the South Shore. And one of the reasons they were discounting the car so much is because Hyundai has come up with a new Santa Fe, and and there's an article, and it was introduced recently in Park City, Utah, a place where I've been. In an interesting place it is, but the redesigned 2019 Hyundai Santa Fe gets several changes, starting with its name. Hyundai is dropping the Sport from its name of the smaller five-passenger version. The brand will have one more year of selling down the three-row Santa Fe under the name of Santa Fe XL, so the bigger Santa Fe they're going to call Santa Fe XL. Uh, and then they'll replace it with a new nameplate. The nameplate is expected to be called Palisade. Not a great name. Uh, when we launched the previous generation, the idea was to maximize the efficiency of our marketing, said Mike O'Brien, Hyundai Motor uh, Vice President of Product, Corporate, and Digital Planning. Uh, during the media introduction, we had the Veracruz, which uh, we had the Santa Fe, and we never spent enough money on all of our kids. It says here, one kid got a college education, and the other kid only went to high school. We thought by having a common name, Santa Fe, we would be more efficient by marketing sport. But what we learned, probably more, it was more confusing than efficient. Hyundai saw the confusion as shoppers configured the vehicle online. Entering Santa Fe took them to the eight-passenger, three-row version, rather than the... Uh, uh, smaller Santa Fe Sport, so there it goes. Hyundai expects the addition of the redesigned Santa Fe, which is going on sale now alongside the Kona Subcompact and the Freshen Tucson, to boost the crossover share of sales. We're going to bring more production capacity. We're going to bring more of our products. Uh, Hyundai believes some Santa Fe conquest uh, opportunity will come from owners of more expensive vehicles thanks to the more premium look of the redesign. Yeah, it has... Um, it has LED uh, style lights. It looks like, at least in the picture that I'm seeing, it has a uh, more prominent grill. Uh, it, it just looks it looks more Lexus or Acura looking than than Hyundai looking. Uh, it looks like at least the standard model is going to come complete with roof rails, uh, not a roof rack, but at least roof rails. Uh, it says here the cabin uses multiple textures, more supportive seats. A headliner fabric that looks more like the material on a high-end sofa. Door panels with embossed geometric pattern. Uh, we really spent a lot on the effort on the design side. We also, uh, on refinement of noise, vibration, and harshness, which people associated with a premium vehicle. I actually think my Hyundai Santa Fe Sport actually rides pretty well. Uh, it's a good direction for a brand. It's a better, more profitable place to be in the marketplace. So it also... 
it has a pretty decent starting price. It says here it's going to start at twenty six thousand four eighty, which I think is only about a thousand dollars more than the than the previous version. Um, uh, safety is also there's going to be a full suite of safety features, all standard. So they'll all now all now have uh, forward collision avoidance assist, driver attention warning, blind spot collision warning, and lane keeping assistant, among other features. The standard safety features are resonating with Hyundai customers. Initially, our dealers question our safety strategy, but it's true. Uh, it was easier to buy. Uh, uh, the mid-level model when I was looking at vehicles than the base model because uh, I was looking, I was more concerned about price than features, so I was looking for a car that was a little bit cheaper. Uh, we asked our dealer council at a meeting if they if they thought they made the right decision. They, they unanimously said yes, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. So what's the difference between this one and the old one? Well, the powertrain is a 2.4-liter four-cylinder engine rated at 185 horsepower or a 2-liter four-cylinder engine rated at 235 horsepower. Both come with an 8-speed transmission. A diesel engine is planned for the future. The base engine is the same base engine they're using now. Uh, It uses a 7-inch multimedia touchscreen, 8-inch on the ultimate, ultimate trim level. Uh, and Android Auto and Apple CarPlay capability. Four USB ports are among the standard tech features. Um, my car, because it's a base model, only has like a 5-inch display screen for the radio and other features. Um, I don't have Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Again, that was the next model up. I didn't really care about those. Uh, safety, standard forward collision avoidance uh and all the other safety features I just mentioned. Also, parking distant warning, rear occupant alert are standard on the higher end models and higher trims. They want to com- they, their competitors. They think what this are uh, Ford Edge, Nissan Murano, Jeep Cherokee, Subaru Outback. I wonder why they didn't say things like Toyota Highlander. Maybe they're going to compete. They're, they're thinking that's competitive with the next model up. And it is a little bit of a tweener, I guess. It's sort of in between the compact and the midsize. Uh, what they think the sharp Strength, according to whoever wrote this article, it says uh, good looks inside and out in a segment with either too much going on or not enough. A day spent driving the high altitudes of Utah showed off the Santa Fe's handling, whether around town or off the beaten path. It was up to the challenge. They're saying they should have a diesel variant available uh, at you know when they introduced it, and they think that's a weakness. I'm not so sure, actually. Uh, I don't, you know. In some markets, definitely in the U.S., diesel is still about 50 cents per gallon higher. Diesel engines are for everyone. Uh, I don't know that it really hurts them that much not having a diesel ready right now. The bottom line is, says the optional turbo engine along with the all-wheel drive combined with the look similar to the already popular Kona subcompact could make the redesigned Santa Fe an, an enticing option for crossover customers. You know, well, uh, one of these days when I have a little bit of time, I'll have to really sit down and price my car out uh, kind of a standard model with this and see, you know, should I have waited I guess is the question. I don't know. I, need, I decided I needed a car, so I didn't wait and that's that's how it works sometimes. So that's the way it goes. Our phone number is 617-770-3030. Why don't we talk to Frank from Medford? Frank, is that you? Frank? Frank? Where are you, Frank? Good morning, John Paul. Good morning, sir. How are you? Pretty well. Uh, I... 
I called up the dealer to bring back that uh, 2009 Chevy Traverse. The other yeah. the misfire after the time and chain was. Oh gone. yeah, yeah, yep, yep. And and they said that uh, you know uh, that uh, he kind of confused me about codes and stuff as far as saying that it's uh, well there's historical codes and there's other codes and he didn't find it I think on the historical or something like this here or whatever there that uh, he's gonna he's gonna take a look at it but uh, what I was wondering is if. Uh, you know, they did the time and chain, right? And it was the one and five cylinder were misfiring. So when right. we get the car back, then only the one cylinder is showing misfiring, and it only shows up like when you try to go on the highway and give it gas, it kind of hesitates like. Uh huh. So, um, <clears throat> would that be. The problem originally started with the converter there uh, right. crumbling or whatever there. And I'm, I'm wondering if the. Uh, like on the older cars, they had a dog leg, and that that used to re reintroduce the exhaust into the cylinder there. And I'm wondering yep. could that have damaged the uh, the one cylinder or something? Um, Is that possible? Uh, I know yeah, the well, have been changed on that. They're only like a couple of months old on the yep. on that back side of the engine. Yeah, I you know it's 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 also possible it's it's got an you know the way you describe it where you get the misfire code when it comes up as you're getting onto the highway it 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 does sound like an electrical like a like a bad coil could be a bad coil pack could be a bad plug still even though it's three months old it could be a bad plug so I think at this point. You know, the the idea that you were having kind of a, a misfire in a couple of cylinders, they, they determined it was because of a worn worn chain, and now you're getting a misfire on one cylinder. I guess you really need to find out what it is. And if it if it's a result of the um, if it's a result of something they did or is a result of something they haven't done yet. And the thing about saying, well there's historic codes, if they're if they're trying to say Hey, you know, we took care of the problem. Those were codes that were already in there. We cleared the codes when we gave it back to you, and now there's a new code coming up, and the new code means a new problem, not a not an old problem. Well, that's nonsense. Um, you know, they cleared the they cleared the codes, and you know, the codes the codes that were there were there, and uh, you know, if if they're completely different than they were previous. So, in other words, if one of the codes came up. Now the EGR valve's not working properly, or the or there's an oxygen sensor that's not working properly. Well, those are different, but these are misfire codes. So if it was a misfire and the misfire was tied down to a sloppy chain, well, that's that's one thing. Now we need to find out what's causing whatever it is, you know, misfire cylinder one or whatever it is, and find out find out the the root cause of what that is. And it's possible, of course, that you know, even though those spark plugs are three or four months old, you know, could one of them have, you know, from the misfire caused by this faulty chain, could one of them have gotten enough contamination where under load it misfires? Maybe. I think under load, if it's misfired, it might have a bad coil pack. Well, he's saying that he thinks that it, it could also be carbon. He said that those engines are noted for carbon uh, problems with the uh, 
and I, I, you know, that's new to me. I mean, I don't know anything about bad weather, you know. And yeah. I'm saying, like, in the old days, you used to take the car, if you had carbon build or something, you'd go on 93 or something there and boot it, you know, clean it out or something yeah. like that. No, I mean, I'm, I mean, they might, they might actually recommend, possibly, I guess, is... Uh, adding some, you know, running a, uh, a carbon cleaner through it where they disconnect the fuel system and run a carbon flush. And there's GM has their own one. Uh, BG Products has their own. There's a, there's a bunch of them that, that uh, Snap-on has theirs. They all have a carbon cleaner. You could go out and buy a can of, uh, of Tecron at an auto parts store. Run it, run it through a tank of gas. Run a second can through another tank of gas. See if it's changed, and that will clean up. That will clean up the carbon inside the engine uh, to some extent. Uh, use uh, use a uh, use a brand name gasoline like Shell or Mobil. That will help keep some of the carbon. That will cut down on some of the carbon because of the additives that's in that. Uh, Shell, Mobile, Sitco, they all have they all have a little bit more additive in it than some of the no name gas. Uh, try that. And if all of that doesn't make any difference, I would still want to. I would still want to spend some time. You, you know, look at the code, look at what cylinder it's indicating it's misfiring, and then try to find what the cause is of that. Even to the point where you know, switch. You know, switch a coil from one. You know, one one side of the engine to the other, and see if the, see if the misfire travels. And then you know, well, you got a bad, you get a bad coil pack, and you can and you can buy some of these. You can buy some of these coils online, uh, pretty pretty inexpensively too. But but I would I would go back to them, and I think they at least owe it to you to um, to tell you what's wrong with it at this point. You spent a bunch you spent a bunch of money having a timing chain put on, or, or or at least a bunch of time, and I think that at this point they owe you. Uh, at least an answer about why the light's coming back on. You brought it in with a light on, and uh, you said, "Tell me what's wrong with it and and fix it and make the light go out." And they they said, "Okay." And now the light's back on. So I think they at least owe you. They at least owe you that to say to say, uh, uh, "Let's take a look at it and see what it is." And you know that's got six individual coils. So uh, an easy an easy check. If you can get to the, if it's one of the coils you can get to, is you pop the coil out, you put it in, you know, instead of in cylinder one, you put it in cylinder three or five or whatever's on, whatever's closest, and you put the coil back in and and you clear the codes and you drive down the road and next time the light comes on, if all of a sudden it says, all of a sudden it says cylinder five misfiring, well, you know it's a bad coil because the the um, the the misfire moved from one cylinder to another. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. that the the problem is with uh, on the so the one I think that's the one that begins the firewall, and I think that uh, you know that's why they don't pull the plug or clean the plug or check the plug because you're going to pull the intake manifold and everything. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. They, they they don't they don't make it they didn't make it easy for you. I'll say that, but but still, but still, you know that's you know you went in you went in with you went in with the problem and. And you know, right. the, you know, it's it's just. Uh, well, that was on the because you told me about the recall notice for that for the timing change yep. that I was in, and yep. that's you know, so yeah. so yeah. the dealer, the dealer and GM ate the uh, ate the timing change. Right, you know right, mean? right. And and that and and you're right that that is you know cylinder cylinder one is the is the uh, the. Uh, 
the kind of the passenger side rear. Uh, right. Yeah. It, yeah. It's not. It's it's no fun to get to. You know, I'll say that. But but it's <laughs> but you know it's it's uh, and I I guess I guess where they looked at it and took care of it. Still, I would still say to them, Hey, look. You know, uh, is there something else? And let's face let's face it. If it needs a coil, it needs a coil. You got to you got to you got to bite the bullet and put it in. Um, sure. You know, if if it is if it is one of the if it is one of the uh, the the rear coils, you know, it's you know, it's unfortunately the difference is, um, you know, in the to do to do one coil in the ones you can get at takes about ten minutes. To do one coil in the ones you can't get at, you know, it takes an hour and a half. So, right. you know, so it's going to cost you a couple hundred bucks in labor to replace the coil and check the you know check the plug. But you can't right. drive around, you can't drive around with the, the engine misfiring because you're going to dilute the oil. You're going to cause all kind of cause all kind of problems. So you might have to spend spend some of your own money to take care of it. Sure. Now, what uh, what I was wondering was when they do the timing chain, do they have to take off the intake manifold or anything, or is it can they access that without doing the intake? No, you know no, no, no. They can they can they can just they can just pull. They I. There's a bunch of covers, but other than that, they don't they don't have to take the intake off. No, that's what I, was, I yeah. thought they might not have yeah. to. Yeah, just, yeah. I know on the old ones you wouldn't have to. But. Yeah, yeah. I and and again, it's one of those things that it's kind of funny. You're you're the third person I've talked to that's had a time and chain problem of one kind or another. Uh, uh, you know, over over the past week or two, and time and chains are usually designed to last for the life of the car, and they usually do unless they don't. And when they don't, um, you know, it's uh, it's usually a reason. It's usually a reason because of a, a defect of some kind, and um, you know, it's either a tensioner that's gone bad or or something something else has gone bad with it, and that's and that's what that's you know where where the problem is, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes. The third diamond chain in the vehicle. The first one went at twenty four thousand under the regular warranty, and then they covered it this time because it was under the hundred thousand miles with right. the ten year or whatever. You know, so it's the third diamond chain in the vehicle. I mean, it's like um, I don't know what you know. Yeah, and that's an. That's, I just get rid of the car. Yeah, yeah, and that's an interesting car because it uses it uses a, a primary chain and a secondary chain and. And uh, you know there, you know, and they, and, and like you said, they, they, they knew that there's a problem with it, and that's why they came out with this. You know, they call it a special coverage adjustment, which means that uh, we're extending the warranty because what we made didn't didn't last very well. So, right. So yeah, yeah. So um, you know, you know, it, it's uh, they don't have to take off the intake manifold, but they did have they did interestingly enough have to lower part of the front suspension to get to it. So, right, yeah, I know they had to take part. Of yeah, that yeah, right yeah, it's, side. But, yeah, yeah, but, and, uh, yeah. But uh, you know, I would I would get us you know either go back to them or get a second opinion with somebody and. Like I said, well, I mean, I guess two things: either you can get rid of the car, which gets rid of the problem, or you can go back to them and, and say, "Hey, look, you know, uh, you took care of the time and chain. Let's find out what else is a problem." And like I said, could it be could it be a, 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 an ignition coil? Ignition coils on GM cars fail fail pretty regularly, so it's entirely possible. 
Oh, they do. Yeah, I wasn't yeah. sure of that. Yeah, yeah, they do. The, uh, but she, she now the converter has to be replaced. I know that, right? Right. Yeah. You've got rear bank one, and the problem is, yeah, whatever. Like you say, if, if I don't find out what's wrong with that cylinder, I don't want to go spending thousands on converters, and you know what I mean, and have right. a bad in. No, you know, no, you're 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 absolutely right because what happens is if you spend all the money on a converter, um, and then that cylinder still misfiring, you got to melt that that converter is going to turn into a, you know, you might as well just go melt, you know, a thousand dollars into a pile and throw it away. Right. Oh yeah, because it'll destroy the converter. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I, w- I would go back to them and say, "Hey, look, you know, the check engine light's still on. Can you can you tell me can you tell me what you think it is?" And if they come back to you and say, uh, "You know, it's going to, you know, we we're we're pretty confident based on what we see. It's an ignition coil or 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 something. Uh, you know, could it be an intake manifold gasket that's bad? Eh, I guess it could be, but but more common is usually." Usually a uh, ignition misfire, and the way you describe it, where you, you're you're getting to go out on the highway, you give it some gas to get up to speed, and all of a sudden, the, all of a sudden, that's where you get the misfire. That to me is classic um, secondary ignition or primary ignition failure, and 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 that's where you see it. Um, so I, I think that's what it is, but time will tell. Somebody's got to look at it. Yeah, because years ago, like when you put put the engine under a load, you know, usually it was like your fuel pump wasn't uh, pumping. You know what I mean? It yeah, uh, well, yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, back back then, you could you could actually run a car out of gas if the fuel pump was bad. You'd put it you'd put it to the floor, and the pump couldn't pump fast enough to keep the bowl and the carburetor full. Now with right. today's fuel injected cars, uh, fuel pumps either work or they don't pretty much. And I mean, you can check for fuel fuel volume and pressure, but I don't think it's that. I think it's an ignition misfire. Yeah, and to get the waiver for the uh, for the vehicle, I mean, just, you know, we bought it at that dealership that did the work. Yeah, so yeah. I'm saying, like, uh, used, but I'm saying for the waiver on that, you'd have to replace the converter, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they won't do a waiver on a bad converter because um, the idea of a waiver is whatever's wrong with the car is... Um, Although it it might cause a check engine light to come on, which is going to keep you from getting a sticker, they still won't. They, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts says, "Well, you can't have a car that's that's you know polluting the air." So a bad catalytic converter is um, is I believe generally exempt from any waivers. So I, you know that's one of those things you're going to have to think about getting fixed. Right. Well, like you said. We'll test the dealership out by saying how much can we get for a trade-in. <laughs> well, they, they, there you go. There you go. The problem, the problem is they're going to say to you, well, you know, the car's going to need a new catalytic converter, so we've got to take $1,500 off the trade. It's funny. I just, I just talked to uh, uh, or emailed with somebody this week that had, uh, that had some problems with the car, and they said um, – I'm trying to think how it went. They they said it was a – they had to replace part of the engine, and they said, well, prior to the trade-in, the car was worth $16,000, and because the engine had been repaired uh, and the work that was done to it, now the car is only worth $12,000. And I'm like, well, that's just the opposite. You know, the, the, you know there's no there's, – there's no – evidence that says once a car is repaired it's worth less uh than yeah. it would be if it wasn't repaired so uh but in your case it needs work so you might be better off 
trying to trade it with somebody who hasn't that doesn't have as much history on it because they're going to tell you, well, uh, you know, here's here's what we know is wrong with it, so we, we're going to take this amount off, even though the cost of repairing it. Um, it should be what they're looking at, not the you know the cost of their cost of repairing it, not the cost of retail repairs. So, right, yeah, yeah. And especially you know the funny thing is you know you're talking to the guy at the dealership yeah, that does the appointments, right? And he goes, "This used to be my mother's car." He goes, "That's when the tire chain went at twenty four thousand." Oh, okay. And I'm saying, like, this is really bizarre that, uh, you know, you, you're talking to the guy that uh, mother knew to get rid of it. Did he probably told her to get rid of the car? No, you, you, I mean, you never, you never know. It's funny. I, I, the car I had before this one, I bought it from a, a car dealership uh, down in Weymouth. S&E Auto Sales, nice little dealership. They also own a Mitsubishi franchise. And I brought it in once for their complimentary, you know, they, I think you got a couple years worth of oil changes, and I happen to be in the neighborhood, so I went in and got an oil change, and sure enough, there's the car I traded in sitting on the lift, and I said, oh, what's my old car doing here? And they said, oh, that's your old car? We didn't know that. The service guys didn't know that. And I said, yeah, I said, I said, yeah. and he said, oh, it, it, uh, it developed a, a rusty transmission line, so we're repairing that under, under our warranty. And I said, oh, okay. And, you know, afterwards I'm thinking one of the reasons the car looked stunning inside and out, but underneath it, it was it was getting rustier than I wanted it to be, which is one of the reasons why at, uh, at just, I think it was just five years old, I decided to trade it in because I knew that if I kept it four or five more years, I was going to be faced with the same thing. I didn't know I was. I didn't know it was going to happen quite as soon as it did. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's amazing how that's a small world sometimes. Yeah, that's yeah. it is. Uh, All right. Well, have a happy uh, Labor Day, John. You, you, as, you as well. Take care now. Right. Bye-bye. 617-770-3030, I, let's, go, let's talk to Mike in Bridgewater. And it's funny, I, I was talking about Labor Day the other day, and I said, uh, I said uh, Labor, Day, Labor Day, what does that actually come from? And, you know, we sort of made something up until we looked it up, and it was uh, actually the Carpenters Union. Carpenters and Joiners Union uh, were the ones that uh, that established the Labor Day holiday. Well, let's talk to Mike. Mike O. Morning, John. Good morning. John, I want to talk about uh, generally uh, cruise control, smart cruise control, pedestrian detection, and uh, manufacturers might call it something like stop and go creep along in traffic, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, I know. I know. Typically, you know, cruise control doesn't work under certain miles per hour, and I under, I believe I understand. Smart cruise control keeps you a certain distance from the vehicle in front. But my question is kind of this: If you have smart cruise control and pedestrian detection, do you also have? the capability of, you know, stop and go creep along? Is it a hardware issue where you have to, manufacture would have to put on a separate piece of hardware? Or is it just a software change? Or, you know, pedestrian detection, that kind of thing? I was just wondering if that's something that can be an upgrade to an existing car that has, you know, the the newer version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know if it can be an upgrade to an existing car. And, and here's sort of, Smart Cruise Control uses a series of sensors and radar and laser sometimes and and a variety of things and what it does it smart cruise control keeps a 
electronic distance between you and the car in front of you. And if you set the cruise control for 60 miles an hour and traffic slows down to 30 or 40 miles an hour, it will slow down with it, and it'll keep that same buffer distance between you and the car in front of you. If you if the car in front of you comes to a complete stop, depending on the manufacturer, it, it can start up again depending on how long you're stopped. Some cars, if you're stopped for more than a second or two, you have to hit the cruise control button or physically step on the gas pedal yourself to get it to move again. Most of them, if you just hit the resume button, it'll start back up and follow the car at the same speed in front of you. The cars that have pedestrian detection systems, like some of the Volvos and Mercedes and Audis and some others, those cars will do the same thing. If a pedestrian runs up, if you're, if you're going 10 miles an hour or 5 miles an hour in traffic, and the cruise control is still keeping your speed at 5 miles an hour because that's as fast as the car in front of you going, and a pedestrian runs across in front of you, and the system detects the pedestrian, it just shuts it off, and in some cases will apply, fully apply, some cases partially apply the brake. The problem is why I don't think you can do a software upgrade is I used to work with a very thin guy. And I bet if he weighed 115 pounds, it was a lot. And we were we were at an auto show where they were demonstrating the pedestrian detection system. And he kind of turned sideways and ran in front of it, and it never saw him. Okay. So, okay. So I think the idea of saying, well, we can put an additional system in place to make the system work like the very newest systems, I don't think they can. I think the newest, yeah, system, I newest systems have to rely on additional, more robust hardware to work. Okay, because I was thinking with the, basically this thing called City Sense, where it would stop and go traffic for you, that kind of thing. If you have those things in place, is that something that's just a switch, you know, like Tesla gives you a switch and then you get more well, files and that kind of thing? Yeah, you know I mean, I'm thinking, yeah, I... Yeah, yeah. I think if it's got all of that stuff going for it, I think it's more than a switch. And and it's sort of I wanted. I, and he hasn't responded back to me. I'm a little disappointed. There's a guy, and I think he's up in the Salem, Mass area, and and he's got a YouTube channel called uh, Rick, Rich Rebuilds, and he and he actually rebuilds Teslas. He finds junkyard Teslas. He he's some sort of electrical engineer, and um, and he rebuilds Teslas, and one of the things that uh, he tries to get is information from Tesla about, you know, what I, what I want to do to the car. And Tesla pretty much shuts him off, and we're in a state where where there's right to repair, and uh, and he's I, I I really want to talk to him about this and you know everything he does with rebuilding Teslas because he sounds like a pretty interesting guy. Uh, so I'm, I'm waiting to hear back from him. But yeah, I I think a matter of uh, them being able to, you know, if you have a Volvo, you know, city safety system, or you have Subaru EyeSight, uh, and you're you're thinking, well, my car is two years old, uh, can it get better with just software? I don't think, I think some things can maybe get better with software, because the software is going to enhance what's there, but I think when it comes down to actually really physically being able to detect things like a pedestrian, I think that's a hardware change. I think that's better sensors. And I know that's what they did in the Subaru because the Subaru system, 
actually will shut off in very bright sunlight, very hot temperatures, and very cold temperatures, as well as rain and snow, anything that blocks the sensor. And the newest system is much more... Um, uh, much less reliant on on temperature, so on very cold days it's it's they've made it in such a way where it's less likely to shut down, and that had to do with the the sensors itself and not the software. So, I, I think that's more the case. Okay, I just want to say yeah. thank you, John. I appreciate the information I get from your show, and wanted to wish you and your wife a happy holiday. Well, thank you very much. As you was the same to you as well, and go out to eat someplace good. All right, take care. Oh, let's see if we can get one. Let's see if we can get one more call in. Uh, Jack from Watertown. Jack, go ahead. Hi, John Paul. Hey, uh, on a cooling fan that doesn't work on a 2003 Lincoln Town Car, do I bother replacing that, or is that an important thing to get replaced? Uh, it's 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 definitely a, it's definitely an important thing to replace. I would I would find the coolant temp sensor first, uh, the one that runs the fan. Ground it, see if the fan comes on. That will tell you if you got a bad sensor. Run power to the fan, see if the fan comes on. That will tell you if you got a bad fan. And in between there, there's a lot of computer stuff in between that turns it on and off. But a bad coolant fan, if you're stuck out on the highway, I mean, if you're stuck out in traffic in stop and go traffic, the car's going to overheat. So you want to get it fixed. Uh, I recommend anyone to get a used 2003 Lincoln Town Car. It's like driving around in a living room. There you go. There you go. If you want to drive around in a living room, it's a good thing. Okay, take care now. Have a great weekend. All right, bye-bye. Hey, I bet our buddy Paul Sullivan's in the studio. Let's see if he is. Sully, are you there? Uh, yeah. I look, at, look at yeah, you. You got like your... a... Well, you got like a 50% chance of me being here, I guess, on any given uh, week, right? Well, I, I think it's a little higher than that, but I got a I got a 50-50 chance of who's going to be filling in for you. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, so what's up for the Irish Hit Parade on this Labor Day weekend? Well, yeah, it's Labor Day weekend, so, you know, it's and not only that, it's September 1st, so we'll play nothing but the best music from Ireland, as we have done every Saturday since, I think it was July something, uh, 1967. Oh, well, uh, well, uh, it's been it's been a long Rock time. Ride, not it's, uh, one, one I of think those. longer than that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I wasn't here then. Yeah, me either. But you know, it's uh, you know, it is September. But I'm going to think that that doesn't mean fall and cold weather coming and turning the heat on and and all those kind of things. Even though all the predictions are for a miserable winter. And, I, well, I uh, heard it's going to be 93 degrees like on Tuesday. So it, it, the summer's not gone away yet. I remember, I, no. I remember calendar summer's not till I know I know they talk about meteorological summer, but. Um, on the calendar, summer's got three more weeks, right? And an old timer once said to me, "Don't let the calendar be your guide of life." Well, and if you're on the Cape, which you, you might be in that uh, you know posh but not uh, overly ostentatious uh, studio that you have there, um, it, the, the Cape in September is wonderful. It, it is the Cape in September is a wonderful place to be, and that's all I have. <laughs> so, the piano man means I have to go. The very best in Irish music coming up with Paul Sullivan and the Irish Hit Parade. Until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.